Hey guys, Josh Klein here, uh, One Day Contract coming up in just a moment, but I just wanted to share with you um, something that I found really helpful in these um, kind of, not even kind of, in these crazy times uh, that we're living in right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're hopeful at the Riot Network that we're able to provide you with some distraction and some relief and, and some you know ability to kind of tune out and focus in on your favorite team, the Carolina Panthers. And and one thing that I have found over the past few weeks that's really helped me out is from our friends at Ortho Carolina. They have a health at home video series. They're in their third week of it, whether it's mental health, emotional health, physical health. It's right there on orthocarolina.com. They have uh, videos that you can watch for stress management, for uh, strength training, for just how to improve yourself Um over these times while you're stuck at home and and it can be a little bit crazy and it's okay to need some help. So I would encourage you guys to check that out. It's on orthocarolina.com. But coming up right now, Al Wallace, Nikki Wolf, me and Colin are going to yell at each other for about an hour and a half about the Carolina Panthers. Here it comes. Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network powered by Ortho Carolina. Make sure to follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods and make sure to subscribe, rate and love us where you get your podcasts. My name is Nikki Wolf with me as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is. And he got a haircut, so the stash is really popping today. Yeah, you can really see it on the Zoom, on the uh, on the Skype call that we're on. Shout out to Skype. Um, Zoom sucks. Uh, yeah, Whoa. it's really it's really coming along nice. It's uh, you know, it's like one of those things where I talked about it a few weeks ago, where my wife said I came out of the bathroom as a joke with the mustache. And my wife was like, "Oh, hey, all right." Um, there was a little bit of like a Tom Selleck type of situation, and. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's stuck around. I feel like while we're in this quarantine, the the rules just don't apply. You can do anything you want. Like if you show up on a call or you're like walking in Harris Teeter and you, your hair is, you have a ridiculous haircut or you just don't even have a haircut. Your hair looks ridiculous. Your face looks ridiculous. Just doesn't matter. Like the, the rules of personal hygiene are, are out the window right now. We're all just scrapping and surviving. As long as your hands are clean, that's all that counts. Survive and advance. Absolutely. It is. Yes. Also with us, as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and is still trying to figure out who his Korean baseball team is going to be. What are you thinking, Colin? I hardly celebrate the American League, let alone the Korean League. Um, I just want to know if Doc Holliday's watched Tombstone recently. <laughs> uh, man, that is a real compliment. I'll take that. I, I've been called worse. Uh, more like frock holiday, I feel like would make more sense, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's a, um, I'm a, I'm a big NC dinos guy. I know you didn't ask me, but, uh, obviously got to go with NC dinos with their mascot swole daddy. And and Nikki, I need to ask you as the other objective viewer in here, um, is, is the soul patch slightly off center? What's happening? Why are we focusing in on this? You guys, (laughs) I thought there was like something wrong with the camera or my screen, but now that you bring it up, 
Like, what do you mean? Do you, remember, do you remember the mustache that Michael Jordan got in trouble for? Um, the Haynes commercial? <laughs> That's what Josh is sporting under his chin right Are now. you saying I have like a reverse Hitler stash? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> I hope that's going to be the last dance, like episode eight, just focused on that. Yeah, it's all it's all that that one Haynes commercial. I still think <laughs> it's a wager. They're like, you won't go on television. You won't shoot a commercial with that with that mustache. And MJ said, watch this. <laughs> he doesn't have a gambling problem. It's a competition problem. He's not <laughs> he's not a gambler. He's a competitor. <laughs> Let's introduce our guest on the one-day contract this week, Al Wallace, 10-year NFL vet, former defensive end for the Carolina Panthers, and current holder of the Biggest Arms Award for previous one-day contract guest. <laughs> An award handed out by myself, I might add. Yeah, you, you know, I'll take that. I, I work hard, not getting any weights done now, just some at-home workouts trying to stay in shape. I, too, am part of the scruff club here. Yes. With all the gray showing, I think I think I convinced myself I'm trying to look a little older and a little rundown so my wife can give me a break on some of the outdoors chores here. But it's not working <laughs> at all. She's not giving giving up on it. <laughs> how's the how's the honey do list going over there at the Wallace household? Is it just continually growing or do you feel like you're making a headway into it? No, not making any headway into it. It is long and extensive and uh, you know, hopefully we can win win an award for backyard renovations and uh trees chopped down in a single day uh but it is it's tough i've spent a lot of time outdoors i think i'm trying to get a little mountain man look going on here absolutely lumberjack i love it <laughs> well we start the show with nikki's super important question so my question is give me your non-Panthers draft thoughts, whether it be the format of the draft this year, what you thought of it, how it went, or who had a great draft, who had a bad draft? Oh, uh, I, I would love to start. Um, I, I, I thought, first of all, I think that the NFL is kind of in trouble because I think we found that the virtual draft format and being able to see these all of these you know, young men uh, with surrounded by their loved ones and with their family and get to see the moment when they, uh, when they, they hear that, you know, they're going to be playing in the NFL, that's lifelong dream has been fulfilled that, that, that doesn't have to happen backstage in Caesar's palace or, you know, off of Broadway in Nashville. And it's much more affecting. I mean, I, I found myself obviously, you know, you're, we're watching the draft. You're going to watch all of it. But like, I found myself even more into the the picks that I wouldn't have been paying attention to, just in case to see something, you know, some sort of magic moment. You saw so many of these kids, you know, lose control of their emotions, and it and it was really it it did feel special to watch them, um, to to watch them have that experience. I I, I just I, I really kind of I treasured that format, and I wonder if next year we're going to see you know, five guys in the, if it's like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and two offensive tackles that you've never heard of are in the green room. And then everybody else is at home with their family, with cameras in their living room. Is there, I wonder if these guys, how many of these guys get money for the first round? Like whether it's some kind of sponsorship deal or something like that, like, is there an incentive to be in the green room for these guys? Because I'm with you, Josh. Like I would, I mean, if you're, particularly if you think you're like, Hey, I might get picked 20, but I could get picked 45, you know, unless there's a financial incentive. It seems like the better play is to be at home with your with your loved ones. 
well, it's like who could sponsor the green room? Uh, I'm thinking, you know, CBD obviously lends itself to the green room sponsorship immediately. <laughs> um, I don't know who else. Is there like a, is there like a, like budget rent a car Emerald? What's the Emerald Isle national rent a car? These like, guys just... aren't old enough to rent a car. I don't, I don't... <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I'm with you, though. I'm with you uh, on the it's cool to see the families. I, I'm reminded, though, because there was a time before the draft was this big production that everyone was expecting. We obviously didn't get this year. And that is unless you're getting a quarterback and a truly a franchise quarterback and or a generational talent, most often in, say, the top five picks of the draft, it's really an annual job fair. And you're going to get guys that come in and do a job for your team. But by and large, these are not guys that are going to come in and change a culture or change the, the course of an organization. Um, you know, if you take the totality of a class, you can hit it out of the park. But I think by and large, like, you know, day three, I'm sitting there going, I can't believe we're we're not talking about something different other than just, you know, seeing guys get, still get picked in the exact same way. It felt like by day three, the conversation could have moved to what everybody's going to be doing. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we had to talk about uh, somebody who had relatives that had passed away, so we had to bring that up for everybody. That was the weirdest thing. That was the weirdest thing to me. I didn't get it at all. Like, I, I'm I'm on board with the whole don't bag on the guy on the day he gets drafted. Don't be like, hey, I'm telling you, this kid that got picked 18th, he should have gotten picked 90th, and he's not going to be very good. I'm I'm on board with the official broadcast not needing to do that and just celebrating the moment with the kid. But – it was very, it, it was way too much, I thought, with that stuff. Yeah, guys, I, I mean, I agree with you both. I think for me, I mean, it was a, a instant draw that I got to kind of look into everyone's home, see the families, especially during this time where we were all kind of, um, you know, separating ourselves from, from being, uh, you know, some social contact. So to have everybody in the room that shows, you know, that you really care about those guys, people that are close in the emotions, not just from the players, but also from the family members. We saw dads and moms fall to the ground. We saw the emotion from the players. Um, but Colin, like you said, for me, after the first day, I'm tired of hearing about the kid's mom who passed away or who's on drugs and that's somehow a backdrop or the motivator for the success of this athlete on the field. I think we can do without that. That story is, is kind of old. How about the kid just works hard? And, and yeah, some tragedy kind of fuels that. But the kid worked hard, worked his butt off. Um, he made his dreams come true. He's realizing it tonight. That's kind of what I want to hear about. Not the, the so sob story to kind of connect us to each kid uh, about some tragedy that happened in, in everyone's life. It got old after the first day. Yeah. Go ahead, Go ahead Colin. I was going to say, especially in the quarantine situation, like I understand, I guess it was easy material for them to go to, but we're all looking for an escape. And it's like, please, NFL, please just be my football league today. Just be my football league that's yeah. getting refilled with tremendous talent from across this country. Be that. Don't stop trying to be everything for us. Just be that football league. Be that escape because that's what everyone enjoyed about it. Yeah. Uh, Nikki asked about, you know, which draft, which teams we thought had good uh, draft classes. Um, and I, I think this is going to be something that I might, my, I might be bringing up for the next eight months, nine months is look at what the dolphins did with their draft class. Yeah. And we all talk about how the dolphins, Oh, the tanking doesn't work. And they were trying to be the worst team in the league and they ended up five and 11. But what they ended up doing was they ended up going and getting 
theoretically a franchise quarterback, uh, a starting tackle, a starting corner, uh, a defensive t- – like they had three, five picks in the top 56 – and this is a team that they're not ready to compete, but they literally reinvented their entire team over the course of a year. And that to me is, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to, obviously we're going to talk about the Panthers a lot. Um, but that to me was what the Panthers maybe had the opportunity to do, not this year, but next year. And I think that they may have passed on that opportunity in order to, uh, you know, for a little bit of short-term success in 2020, because I look at the Dolphins as like big winners for right now. And I know winning the draft doesn't help anything, but you look at what they're trying to do. And it seems like they, everybody was on a cohesive path from Pat, from, from step one of when they hired Brian Flores. And now it seems like they are, you know, hurtling on this highway and they have taken all these huge steps towards it. And, and I would be curious, and I will be curious, obviously, over the next few years, we're going to see how the Panthers do because they're they're not doing what the – they're not taking that path, and we're just going to kind of see which one works. Obviously, different situations, different paths for everybody, but this was something – this was the way that I could have seen the Panthers kind of going down this road, and I don't think that they did. Yeah, Josh, it's a, it's a proven formula. I mean, we've seen it with the San Francisco 49ers, now with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, being a South Florida guy, my family is is definitely tuned into the Dolphins. Grew up uh, down there where everyone's a Dolphin fan. So to watch the excitement of my friends and family when those draft picks came across, I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable that they've gone through so much. And uh, now they're getting this young talent in. And I think Flores is the right guy. He has a formula. You see some of the picks, they feel a little Bill Belichick-esque in the way he's drafting guys and building that team, obviously a defensive, uh, you know, trying to get that defense back on track. So I, I really, I enjoyed it, but I think uh, for them Tua is a guy that you don't have to rush. I think if they rush him, uh, you know, into that starting lineup, it could really hurt them. But I really enjoy watching how they built this draft this uh, past uh, season. Absolutely. Uh, Just leave Ryan Fitzpatrick out there and let, let Tua take the entire year off. Well, and then you can draft a Bosa brother, or something, you know, like San Francisco did when they got Jimmy G. You know, he got injured that first year and just had that, that continuation plan. But I do think we have to acknowledge that it was a little, and, and not calling an injury serendipitous, but the fact that Tua was able to fall into their lap at five only occurs because of the injury that he gets. They don't have a chance to draft Tua, a healthy Tua at five. And he really brings that that class entirely together and really makes it that transformational class. So is it is it luck? Is it opportunity and preparation, you know, meeting at the right time? I don't know. But I do think it I, I think the plan looks a whole lot smarter because they were able to take their their guy at five. Completely agree with you, because if Justin Herbert is the quarterback at the top of that class, I don't think we're mentioning this as you know, nobody's talking mm-hmm. about how how the Chargers mm-hmm. crushed it, you know, so I, he- I think that. It's it's one of those things where it, it it is a little bit about luck. I mean, it really does. It really is. Like if the if the flip of the coin, if the way that the the other tiebreakers didn't work out, and the Dolphins were drafting seventh, and the Panthers were drafting fifth, this would be a completely different story for not only for the Dolphins but probably for the Panthers. So it's like it. it I think a lot of this does as, as much as we like to think that they're you know everything depends on coaching and ownership and GMs. I, a lot of this does ultimately come down to luck. 
Let's take a closer look at this Panthers draft class. What do you guys think of it overall? Al, we'll start with you. Um, I, I thought it was excellent just because there was such a need uh, based on what we saw this past season with the defense being historically bad, especially against the run. So many departures on the defensive line, as well as a guy like James Bradbury from the secondary. They needed defensive bodies. They needed to get young. And I I thought it was great because it shows that they have a long-term plan in place. I really do believe that. I'm not sure that they're expecting to do damage this year. Uh, At least that's not my hope. I think uh, to bring these guys along slowly is the plan. But to go seven for seven in the draft, all defensive players, to start on the defensive line. I mean, you guys know how I feel about how football is played. I believe it starts at the the line of scrimmage. And those defensive guys, Derek Brown coming in here. And I think the sleeper for me uh, in this draft is going to be Gross Matos. If he can come along and be kind of – the yin and yang with Brian Burns. I mean, it could be pretty scary what they can do from a pass rush standpoint. Al, I want to ask you as, as somebody that, that made your living coming off the edge, how much does having a, a, a huge defensive tackle that's taking up so much real estate and taking up so much, uh, you know, pressure or pressure on the offensive line or causing getting that double team, how much does that make your job easier and, and just alter the way that the defense plays and flows? Yeah, it's about chess, Josh. So on a passing down, even on the running downs, you see the center calling out protections. He's going to call out the middle linebacker. Sometimes when you have a guy that's so good, he has to call out that defensive tackle. And when I played, it was a guy like Chris Jenkins. You couldn't afford to leave him one-on-one because he was just going to torture your center or your guard uh, to try to slide or protect uh, to Julius Peppers or Mike Rucker, whoever was in there. So for a guy like Derrick Brown, he doesn't have to be the greatest pass rusher. I think we all want to see great pass rushers in there. I think you're still going to be able to see that if K.K. Short returns to the type of player we saw him at the beginning of his career. You just need a pocket pusher. You need a big body that can just push the pocket and allow that short corner to happen. The quarterback can't step up. So it's all about dictating uh, the pressure, and it's about about taking control and making the offense kind of bend to your will and call the protection the way you want it versus the way they want to slide. And that's going to take pressure off of Burns or Gross Matos, whoever's on the edge there. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting that Marty and Matt Rule both didn't think that Derek Brown was going to be there with the seventh pick. That was the the indication that I had before the draft was that they wanted to, they either wanted Derek Brown, there were three choices. It was Derek Brown or they were going to trade back. Um, and whether or not that, whether they were going to be able to pull off that plan, whatever, but that was the kind of the plan was Brown or these other guys in a trade back scenario. But uh, when Brown was there, I mean, they didn't hesitate. Uh, You read this report. I read a report. I'm sure we all did from Peter King that said he was embedded with the bucks and the Panthers wouldn't have traded out even for next year's first. And, you know, that to me, they, they were so enamored with Derek Brown that, you know, he almost has to be, he, he has to make this kind of difference on the defensive line or else, uh, you know, the whole plan, it starts with him, right? Because if he doesn't work, if he ends up being just a run of the mill defensive tackle, then just like with what we said with the Dolphins and Tua, the whole class looks worse because of Derek Brown. So yeah, he, go ahead. You're, yeah. You're soft in the middle again. If, if he doesn't work out, then you got KK short, who's 
uh, good against the run, but in a way that is uh, penetrating, right? He's a disruptor. He's going to shoot a gap. He's not going to control the guys at the line of scrimmage. So if you don't have a, a Derek Brown, a, a guy that's there to eat up that space, then you're soft up the middle again, and you're going to get gashed against the run. I don't care who you have back there at linebacker, and it was they proved it this year with Luke Kuechly. If you're soft up front and you don't have stout guys on the line of scrimmage, this is going to run Luke Kuechly or whoever you put Shaq Thompson for sure, who's smaller and not as physical uh, in the run game is Luke. They're going to run him out of there. So you have to start there. You have to get a big guy that uh, can anchor that front. I think they didn't believe he was going to be there because again, that type of work, is just not sexy. He's, he's not one of those premier um, defensive tackles that are going to rack up six, seven, eight, maybe double digit sacks a year. It's not pretty, but what he does is essential. You know, I felt like Brown fell, you know, and it fell, quote unquote, in the in the mock uh, draft scene, even amongst like the NFL writers. And it became this question of positional value where it's like, oh, he's a defensive tackle. You don't want to take that. But who would trade that pick right now for Aaron Donald? Okay, I'd trade I'd trade it right now for Aaron Donald. So it's not the position if you get the right guy. Derek Brown's a guy they were talking about forklifting guys in the SEC. I mean, I, I'm bullish on this guy. I don't think defensive tackle if you've got a guy that's really going to develop into a true a special defensive player it takes a couple years he's not even he doesn't even have his full man body yet like this is still a big puppy we're dealing with in some ways this guy is a monster i i'm as excited to watch him as you know as we've had a defensive tackle in a long time to be perfectly honest even going through star and kk guys i've liked but i just think Derek brown and what he may be able to offer this line. And for a team that prizes speed, I was pleased in this in this young front office, if you, you know, obviously with the exception of Marty, but this young front <laughs> office of recognizing that they needed to get the big guy up front for the reasons Al just said. I don't know that you can have a defense that be really effective if your best six guys are 230 pounds or lighter. I think you need guys like Derek Brown and for an organization that was prioritizing speed for them to have that recognition in this big spot and not just go for the 40 time. I, I give him a thumbs up and I've been a guy that's been critical of him, you know, throughout this, this process, but I think this, this first pick is right on. I here's okay. I have to couch this second statement with my first statement. My first statement is, is this to mean you're about to take both sides of the argument so you can be right either way? No, okay. uh, I've okay. done that I before. Uh, I I love this pick. Love this pick. I also hate this pick. No, that that's how I. So you could take out either one of those uh, if you want to. <laughs> if you want to cut out either one. No, the player itself, Derek Brown. I really like Derek Brown. I think Derek Brown is going to be a very good NFL player, and I think that he can make a difference for the Carolina Panthers. What I don't like is that Marty it readily admitted that he had trade offers to trade back into the first round, trade back further into the first round and ignored them in favor of Derek Brown specifically, because when you are in the situation that the Carolina Panthers are in, which is that they do not need, they're not going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. I'm sorry if this is the first time that you're hearing it 20 minutes into this episode of the one day contract, but they're, they're not going to be Super Bowl contenders in 2020. They, they should have, their entire goal should have been to, to pick up as many assets as possible. And that means, that says to me, I would rather have uh, a maybe a 90% of Derek Brown. And if they think that Derek Brown is going to be a Hall of Fame player, 
I understand why, but I don't think that that personally, I don't think that is the right way to rebuild your team because they are rebuilding right now. And so if Tampa Bay literally was offering them next year's first round pick and they turned that down to draft Derek Brown, I, I don't, I cannot agree with that, with that decision. I don't think that was a good decision. And it said, it says to me the same thing I've been saying for the past five months is that these guys are, are not five months, however long, 10 years, how long have we been inside? How, however long I've been saying it is that uh, Matt Rule and Marty Herney are on two different schedules. Marty Herney wants to make this team as good. He wants to raise the Madden overall rating for 2020 as high as he possibly can, whereas Matt Rule doesn't need to do that. He can he can be at a 76 this year if it means that theoretically they can avert they can have that Dolphin style draft pick draft class next year or even two years from now. And so having those two in there. Yes, I, I love the. I, not only do I like Derek Brown, I love Jeremy Chin. I like Etor Gross Matos. I like a, a lot of the guys that they drafted. But to me, I think that what they did was they ultimately they're looking at it through two different lenses, and it's just confused. I feel like I, I I'm just confused, and I think that ultimately it may lead to bad results in the end game, if that all makes sense. I think the the process you're thinking about for me and it feels like this every time I hear the Isaiah Simmons argument and the you know trade back for more picks I mean haven't we don't we have enough information at this point haven't we dug deep enough into the analytics to prove that there's still no guarantee I don't care how many first round picks you have it's not guaranteed that those guys are going to pan out I think we've seen that in the last week here with that 20 what is it 17 draft and those guys just not getting that fifth year uh, options. So there are no guarantees and, and Derek Brown either. He's included in that situation. So for me, the process of trading back for, I believe the guy everybody wants is just a sexier pick. He's faster, looks better with his shirt off. You know, he, he's such a great athlete and you don't take, you don't put enough stock in the big 330 pounder that's going to do the dirty work that it takes to be good at football. So I just don't think Derrick Brown is going to be there. And you said it, Josh. They didn't believe he was going to be there at seven. And I can guarantee you, guarantee you, he wasn't going to be there past seven. Because if I'm correct, Arizona's behind the Panthers in that Uh draft. Trust me. And I tell you this, trust me, he was going to get picked there. My good buddy, Brinson Buckner, is the defensive line coach there. I got a text the second that pick came in, he wasn't going to last. They had him high on the board. He was going to be a Cardinal if the Panthers did not pick him up. Yeah. And I I agree with you, but if that you, just like you said, first round picks, no guarantee. Second round, obviously no draft pick is a guarantee. So wouldn't, I would rather have more shots at it. So if you don't like, so if, if it's not Derek Brown, I would rather have two shots at a first rounder rather than even if it means it's 14 and let's face it, if it's 20, if it's Tampa Bay next year, it's like 20, 25 next year. So if it's a, even if it's a pick in the twenties, I'd rather have two picks in the first round than the seventh pick this year. See, and I think if you think Derek Brown is a guy that was going to be gone by the time you picked at seven, you're viewing him as one of those top tier guys. And if you're saying I can get two second tier guys instead of one top tier guy, the, yeah. The math can work, but it's too different. It's too different. It, to me, it's just a bird and a hand kind of situation. I think it's impossible to, to accurately d- decide which one would return more value, you know, in this situation. And I view Derek Brown, it, for one, I mean, 
Al, thank you for being on the podcast again. And thank you for being here on a day when I need to talk about defensive line with Josh. Because it's hard living in there. And this guy is a talented guy with a motor. Talented guys. We've seen lots of talented guys. The Falcons, I think, have drafted three of them in the last eight years that are going to surefire fix their defensive line. And they don't have the work ethic or they don't have the motor or whatever it is. This guy has it. I think a defensive tackle may be the hardest position to find a top tier guy because of that hard living that still has the motor. And I think Derek Brown is that. Al, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I, I played with Chris Jenkins, so I'm going to just throw that out there. When I watch Derek Brown, and I'm not even putting him in that category, those are two, you know, guys that I've seen dominate other grown men who get paid to do this. You don't pick up other adult men and just pile drive them. You just don't do that. So there's something in there. He's a good guy who has a nasty streak. He's going to run down screens. You just watch him. He gives maximum effort, and that's rare when you see that in that size guy. And I played with Chris Jenkins, and he was 370 pounds, but he wasn't getting tired. You weren't going to outrun him. He was going to play every snap full speed, and you just don't find those guys. I don't care if you're, you know, I don't care what you do. You're not finding those guys walking around all the time. Al, I, I've been in a room with you, and I've been in a room with Chris Jenkins, and, and it is not the same experience. That man, he, he, he's he been social distancing for a while because no one <laughs> wants to be within six feet of that that man. He is a monster of Sadoon. a man, and like you said, with the, with the temper, whoo, truly, truly one of the most intimidating guys I've ever been in a room with. Uh I agree with you. And again, I don't think that Derek, I think Derek Brown is going to be really, really good. I really do. But I'm just saying the 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 decision making process to select him, I'm not I, I I generally disagree with. Now that doesn't mean that I again, if Derek Derek, if you're listening, I'll please don't come after me. Okay, but if Derek if Derek plays up to to the level of a top ten pick, then it was worth it. Then they made the right decision. Yeah, it comes up yeah. It just depends on how you're not getting a guy like that. You're not getting a guy like that at 15. You're not getting a guy like that at 26. But people, but you do get guys like that at 15 or 26 all the time. It just, it happens to be, it's people that we look back at and say, how did Star Latulule go 14th? Or how did, how did, how did Luke, how did, how did Derek Brown slip to seven? If Derek Brown's going to play like a top two player, then you're going to say, oh, I can't believe they chose Justin Herbert over, over Derek Brown. You think it, it's out of the question that Derek Brown's got a better career than Justin Herbert? Oh, I'll, no. I'll take Again, a dollar. No, I, that, <laughs> that I'm definitely not saying. I'm definitely not saying that, and I will not even go the other way on that. So I will and not be is, on both sides of that argument. But this is where it gets tricky because you go, okay, well, it's defensive tackle. But again, that's if he's the best player available and he plays a, a position that on your – chart not your chart but just the, the chart they say it's the eighth most valuable position on the team but he's the best damn player then you take the best damn player at whatever position it is and obviously there's, there's limitations nobody's talking special teams here but you go get the best player and that's one of the reasons why guys do fall because that is a kind of tiebreaker as a positional tiebreaker but if this guy is going to be special and if they thought he wasn't going to get to seven and that seemed to be the thought process of even guys like jeremiah and brooks who i respect daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks who i respect a lot on the nfl he, he slid in theirs for reasons that i think are related to this positional value thing yeah, I mean, I don't want to get 
caught up too much in talking about Derek Brown because I, we've talked about him a lot. We will continue to talk about him because that's when he's he a first makes round pick. plays for this team. That's right, baby. When he goes to the Hall of Fame, <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, I wanted them to draft him all along. He was my guy. Don't never trade back. It's it's a question of that we thought that the uh, it goes back to when. To David Tepper saying, well, it went back to David Tepper saying, I'm telling you, I don't think you're wrong. I just think it's two different approaches that either one could work out well. Yeah. It just went back. So David Tepper said that they were going to be going to to making process based decisions, going to be a little bit more analytic based. And then you have Marty Herney getting on the post draft call after the first round and saying they fell in love with him in the interview room in the senior bowl. And it's like those two things don't match up together. They don't, so, and, and Marty's old school. He's going to do it the old school way, and it's part of the reason why they're going to bring somebody in there, whether it's replacing him or to sit next to him to kind of mesh those those two things together. Marty's he's going to build it from the D-line back, and, and that's just the way he's done it. It's the way he's seen, seen it throughout the course of his career. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I agree with Colin. I think there are two ways of doing it. The finish line hopefully will be the same. Um, whether you build with that one big piece or you trade back and get two guys that can kind of, you know, match that, that, that kind of thing. For me, I, you know, a lot of it, or at least my feelings about it is a lot of it has to do with Isaiah Simmons. If I'm being honest, it, it's, it's the Luke Kickley knee jerk reaction. Oh God, we lost Luke. How are we going to fix this? Well, certainly not with a, a defensive tackle. That's not sexy, but what about the six, three, 230 pound guy that runs four, three forty. Now that's sexy. That can replace Luke. And we all get caught up in that because it's a local guy, you know, it's a local Clemson's right there. We've seen him play his whole career. I think that's part of the reason why we're ha- having some buyer's remorse there as well. But it was 24 hours later, they have drafted Jeremy Chin, and a lot of people think gotten Isaiah Simmons light. And I and I feel like if, if it wasn't for Isaiah Simmons, I feel like a lot of more Panther fans would have liked that. But I felt like it kind of took the sail, took the wind out of their sails about the Derrick Brown pick. Because if you tell me I get the, the dude that's forklifting guys in the SEC and I get 90% of Isaiah Simmons, sign me up for that than yeah. getting Isaiah Simmons and Sione Fua. No disrespect to the former third round. Wow, shots fired, Sione. Sorry if you're listening. That's a a herny pick. It's a herny pick because it was him and Terrell McLean that year. They needed defensive tackles. They said, the third round is where you make this happen. And then then we got Cam, so it worked out. So maybe that is the way. That was the way. (laughs) See, that's what I'm saying. Al, did Marty sign you? Was he the GM when you signed? Yes, yes, he did. I was uh, brought here in a trade from, from the Dolphins. Uh, defensive end Jay Williams got traded down there uh, along with myself in a third round pick with uh, which ended up being um, Colin I can't remember his last name it was a safety out of Stanford uh, now so we were the two two pieces that Marty got in that deal yep safety out of Stanford named Colin I, Colin is like literally I, racking his brain you can see, his, you can see wheels right turning Col- we got to stick Colin together Branch. I was excited we got a new Colin guy. Branch Colin that Branch right. yeah I do remember yeah. Colin Branch it's hard to when you but think about now that can now be viewed as the Al Wallace trade that's the Al Wallace <laughs> let's, let's do it let's name it that <laughs> you're, the, you you're the biggest name in the trade that was the Al Wallace <laughs> trade <laughs> We'll get a third rounder and whoever else you want to throw in. That's how it is. Really <laughs> and uh, it's surprise. I'll stick around for five years. Uh, 
like, how did you get, did you get a call? Is your age, how did that play out for you? Yeah. I mean, obviously this, this podcast is not long enough, but I was in, in the league and out of the league, broken ankle, uh, knee surgery and kind of bounced around. It was December. I got a call from the dolphins and kind of finished up their season uh, with a futures contract with the Miami uh, Dolphins, I was down at home in, in South Florida, went through there off season and got a call a week before training camp. And my agent's like, I got good news and bad news. You're, you gotta be in Spartanburg, South Carolina in a week. And I was like, where the hell is Spartanburg, South Carolina? <laughs> uh, and that I got traded away from my hometown team uh, to the Carolina Panthers. So uh, it was tough. I had a, a, a year old baby girl, did not want to leave, did not want to separate. The league had not been kind to me. I was working as an assistant principal of a high school and uh, got a second shot. So that was that was my chance. And I promised myself 15-hour drive that I was going to come up here and kick ass and take names. And it worked out. It worked out pretty well. Al, what did you like or, or I guess dislike theoretically about, about Gross Matos? when you watch tape on them? Cause I, I know he was a lot of guys that he was a guy that wasn't on a lot of boards, but obviously, you know, you know what it takes to be a successful pass rusher. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not as, um, as fluid as say Brian Burns. When you watch Burns, it's the, the low bend, uh, the quick first step. I think Gross Matos is, is a bigger, uh, linear, uh, more physical defensive end. And when you look at defenses, they have both, they have a guy that they're going to put, really on the right side, which is or on the defense's left, which is the offense's right, that's going to take care of some of the heavy lifting in the run game. Uh, and then the guy that's on that blind side, the back side, which I believe will be Burns, uh, that's more athletic, just more elusive. And I think you have those two guys. So for me, Gross Matos has that motor that we talked about. Uh, he can absolutely uh, get after it in the run and the passing game, but not quite as bendy, if that's a word, as a guy like Brian Burns. So that athleticism, that uh, slick wiggle that Burns has, he doesn't quite have that. But what you do is you you have it. Look, I'm going to do this every time we talk, right? I do comparisons. When you guys are talking about Chin, the first person that popped into my, my mind is another guy I played with and, and a Hall of Famer, and that's uh, Brian Dawkins. Really physical, will knock your head off, but a, a great guy on the back end, a ball hawk. Uh, so now when I think about Burns and Gross Matos, it reminds me of Mike Rucker and Julius Peppers. Ruck was not the best athlete. He was not as athletic as Pep, obviously, but those two worked off each other and they worked well. And I think you have that, uh, if they can build for with this young uh, group they have now on the D-line with those two defensive ends. Yeah, the thing that I liked about him, and, and the thing that I liked about this draft class overall, um, is that they they got a lot of guys that had a lot of like raw talent that you saw mm-hmm. if they could like grow into themselves. Like Derek Brown is going to come on the field probably and wreak havoc week one, play one. But like some of these guys, like even Jeremy Chin, I think has a a, a lot of talent and, and has a lot of room to grow. Gross Mouth just the same thing, and Matt Rule said it specifically. He said he's not. He hasn't grown into his, his body yet. He still has no. weight to put on and, and technique to hone. He said he didn't play didn't play football that much in high school, didn't play a lot against a lot of competition. So he's like actively getting better. And, and that I, I like that idea that they went out and said, Okay, so we have a couple of years to grow. So let's let's get some guys that they can be raw next year. So Gross Matos doesn't have to have twelve sacks as a rookie 
if he makes a couple of he makes some impact plays and gets better over the course of the season, you have guys like him, like Weatherly, like Abada, and then all these these off of this defensive line is like growing together. So I, I do think that that going after some of these raw talent that you see in flashes from him, um, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. So I did like what they did on that end uh, in terms of this draft class. Colin, what do you think about him? And I, and I think that's worth noting because, you know, we talk about analytics and being a smart front office. To me, identifying guys that maybe haven't fully grown into their bodies may have a little bit of extra room to grow. That's certainly something front offices have been doing for a while. But it's a philosophy that, hey, that makes sense to me. That that works. I mean, you, you're going to try and get these athletes in here and, and grow them and groom them. We'll see how it works out. But that, to me, at least feels like a, a, a solid foundation for this is our thought process this is kind of where we're, we're trying to we're go with this thing and and i see that consistency throughout the throughout this draft yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned brian dawkins for jeremy chin because i think that jeremy chin is a guy that they are going to i they they're going to be forced to lean on troy pride i think a little bit more than they want to and it may have some some disastrous implications <laughs> when the season actually starts but Guys like Jeremy Chin, like you can put him out there in, in in specific situations. You don't need him to be out there every play. If he does get out there every play, then great. Then he gets a lot more action. Same thing for Gross Matos. He he can rotate through with guys like Abada, guys like Weatherly that have played a little bit more. Uh, even Christian Miller, Brian Burns that have been out there a little bit more, uh, even though they're still young, they can still kind of they're rotating so much that these guys, they don't have to be on the field constantly. You don't have to depend on them for every single play. Um, and that's why I think that Jeremy Chin is, was my personal favorite pick of the entire draft. I think that this was a guy that, that, they, that I really liked coming into the draft, and they identified. Now, this goes back to what I said before, though. Trading up in a draft where you need to accumulate as much po- assets as possible, it, it's not the process that I would have – that I would have approached it with, but ultimately the results, I, I like the results. So it's one of those things where if uh, you're, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Yeah. I like uh, Troy Bride Jr. I, I think uh, he's so physical. You're right, Josh. He's one of the guys you can throw on there. He's going to be a special teamers, special teamer. He's going to run down and cover kicks. But when you put him on defense, you can use that skill set situationally where he can just go light people up and play center field if that's what you're asking him to do. But he can do that, and you don't have to do much thinking. I I think about uh, Trey Boston, obviously, who's going to be there and, and kind of mentoring him. You know, part of the reason why he left after his first stint with the Panthers is didn't seem to process the defense fast enough. They kind of got lost in the X's and O's, but was what was never lost on him was the physical aspect of the game. And I think we're going to see that, uh, you know, again from Chin. He's a big guy that's just going to be back there. You're able to throw him in a lot of different scenarios to play people in the slot, put them in big nickel, different things you want to do. And he's going to, he's going to have an opportunity to make some plays this season. I was curious, how many guys do you think, you know, collectively asking the group here, do you guys think start out of this, like this class for this, like this upcoming season, not necessarily game one, but, you know, because I'm curious, I feel like these guys are going to be in there. I mean, I know, Al, you talked about not needing to have that year, that immediate impact, and I agree they don't necessarily need it, but I also don't know who else is going to be in, picked in front of them. Oh, I, I think they. I think that four of them are going to start. I'm not sure that says a whole lot about 
the the state of their defensive roster um, in not in a positive way. Uh, but I think obviously you drafted Derek Brown to be your day one starter. I think Gross Matos is going to be a big part of that uh, defensive end rotation. I, I think that Troy Bry- Troy Pride Jr. probably they're going to they they're gonna, I would hope they're going to sign some sort of veteran corner to start in front of him. But ultimately, it's going to be a 16 game season theoretically. Uh, I would assume he will get some. He will, you know, there will be some injuries or something will happen. It's not like Dante Jackson has never missed games or is, uh, you know, the most, um, the, the most, the, the best corner we've ever, the most <laughs> competent and consistent corner that we've ever seen play. And I think uh, Justin Chen, I think they're going to, or I'm sorry, Jeremy Chen, I think they're going to, I think they're going to do some like, I think they're going to, uh, Phil Snow, the more you look at Baylor's defense, Phil Snow is going to run some weird like three safety stuff and like, Three three five and four two five and like it's going to be he's going to run some fun stuff and I, I think Jeremy Chin is going to get um, a lot of run in this defense. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be uh, for me not not maybe not four maybe two or three of those guys and it, it's situational football right. So if you come out and you're in a nickel package, yeah, I mean Troy Pride Jr. might be he he may have to be out there at the nickel, uh, so he's going to be out there and I think. I think Chin's going to wow everyone with his athleticism and his ability uh, to hunt down the football on the back end. I think he's going to be one of the guys I look to pencil in uh, as a starter. Uh, Somewhere they're going to use him. And and then obviously Derek Brown has to be your starter. Seventh overall pick. It's a no-brainer in there. He doesn't have to think. Just just be a bulldozer. Just wreck stuff in the middle of the defense. So it's not a big learning curve for, for the big D tackle. Another guy we're sleeping on, a big, huge body, is way down in the draft in, in Bravion Roy. Yeah. He's another big physical space eater, and that's that's what they're trying to do. They need anchors on that defense, and you anchor with those big bodies who don't care anything about the sacks and the numbers. They just want to eat up two guys and allow their linebackers to eat. He's like weirdly light on his feet too. When you yeah. watch watch him out there, like he's he's a big boy, and he's kind of like every now and then you see him make some moves, and you're like, holy god, he weighs he weighs three forty, right. huh? Okay, all right, I didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, he's a. I, I'm looking forward to to seeing what he can do out there. Jeremy Chin. So the guy, this is going to be a cross uh, a, a cross football comparison here. The rookie season that I think Jeremy Chin is about to have is the Curtis Samuel season where he is going to make some absolutely spectacular plays that you are going to remember next offseason. You're going to look back and you're going to be like, man, I cannot wait to see Jeremy Chin in a full-time role because there is going to be one – every couple games, he's going to come up and he's going to light up a wide receiver or he's going to you know, he's going to make a spectacular pass deflection across the middle or he's going to you know, rush – like he, he is a guy that I think is going to show up on film at making spectacular plays – but it's going to take him a little bit of time to get used to playing in the NFL, especially at this kind of kind of competition. Because you know, Southern Illinois, these guys, you know, I, he has a ton of talent. But I asked him the best the best wide receiver that he played against, and it was uh, it was Kirk Kirk Merritt, I think, from Western Arkansas. Let me see if I can <laughs> let me see if I can look him up. Yeah, it's Kirk Merritt was was the best wide receiver he said he faced in in college, Arkansas State. I apologize, Arkansas State. Yeah, it's a, I, I think he has a good chance. We've we've actually seen this before. I remember 2005, we draft 
this safety out of the University of Georgia. and We stick him out there at safety wearing number 47, and he's staring down Brett Favre, and he gets torched. That guy later <laughs> becomes Thomas Davis. So let me tell you, it takes a while for you to get your foot in. He has no lack of athleticism. He definitely was a hitter. He hit me a couple times uh, just, just blind in a, you know, a bull in a china shop. So that's great experience. Throw those young guys out there. Chin is a guy that they're going to – you're right, Josh. He's going to make some plays, and our jaws are going to drop. He is just physical. He's just exciting to watch. He looked – Thomas Davis did not – he looked ugly in that 47, bro. That was not a – Worst believe, number in the history of football. I believe he he had the long sleeves at the time too. I feel like I feel like safety TD had like long sleeves, which is not a, not a great look for a safety. Luke trying to look I, spelt. I believe you. I, I would agree. He did wear those sleeves. Man, but he was exhausted that first game. He was trying to get the calls and he was running around and far throwing it around. It was – Man, it's it was crazy. So it's uh, it was fun to fun to watch him grow. I know this is this is not fair to the young man, but I just Troy Pride out of Notre Dame. I just feel like he's going to have a, a, an injured hamstring for half the season for his entire time here in Carolina. I don't know why. Just on name and Notre Dame alone, I'm like, man, we really like him when he can actually play. Like I feel like he's going to be that guy out of this class. Maybe Four or three guys. They they do it every training camp. It's got to be somebody, right? There's always somebody in the class that you're like, well, you know, this guy's going to contribute, and then all of a sudden he misses 12 games. And you're, you're like, just like, oh, okay. This, yeah, it's like, this is the same clip from week two, three years ago that we were saying when we were excited about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what? it's the that when I said that they had to add a veteran corner, they 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 ha- they I don't mean they have to. I mean they have to. Like they are <laughs> they are a pulled hamstring a turned ankle away from Cole Luke or Corn Elder out there facing up with Julio Jones. Uh, And that's, this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm not like, I understand you don't need to win the Super Bowl. You don't need to be a Super Bowl contender, but like you can't, you're, you're not helping Jeremy Chin grow by having Julio Jones just run streaking down the sideline wide open every time. Like that's not helping your guy. That's not helping Derek Brown. That's not helping Gross Matos. That's not helping Brian Burns. It's not helping Dante Jackson either. And it's ultimately, I think it's it's hurting Troy Pride too. Like if Troy Pride comes in week one and you're just like, uh, you you got you got eleven. So uh, get out there and match up with eleven. See see how it goes. It doesn't even have to be a, a good player. It just has to be a guy who's been around. You cannot yep. learn football from the coaches. I'm going to say that again. The coaches cannot teach you how to play football. They can teach you the X's and O's in the scheme, but you need a guy who's going to tell you how to align, how to play this, which hand to use, how to position yourself. You learn that from the guys next to you, the guys in the meeting rooms with you. Um, and if just ask Brian Burns. I guarantee you he's a better player because of Bruce Irvin uh, and Mario Addison. Without them, he's just another raw talent. And these guys need some veterans in that locker room now. They better get a corner out there because this NFC South is loaded and you don't want to throw those guys to the wolves. Yeah, and, and you're you can't – I'm sorry. Dante Jackson is a, a no. really good player and a great guy, but he can't be the guy that's – he can't be the veteran that's teaching Troy Pride how to play corner in the NFL. That just can't – it can't happen. You can't be the guy that's getting chastised on the reality show in one offseason <laughs> and then be the, the, the clubhouse leader the next. I think that's a little bit of a – we're rushing this transition a bit here. No. <laughs> 
What do you guys think about our former XFLer? Uh, there are a few of them, right? This is this is Marty's move, right? It's last year yeah. he, dra- he took all the AAF guys. This year he gets the XFL guys. He's like sneaking around, like, oh, look at it. Oh, I got this guy. I think uh, Marty was on the corporate card. Marty was like, listen, Mr. Tupper, I got some important XFL games I got to go to, and this is how you justify it. Uh, yeah, he was watching. He was watching some film on Taylor Heineke, and then he was like, "Oh, who's that safety for St. Louis? I like him." Um, uh, personally, I, I again, this goes back to what I said at the beginning: is I really like the players that they drafted. I, I do. I like Kenny Robinson. I think he has a, an interesting skill set, and, and I think that he is. They, I, I just, I really like ball hawk safeties. That maybe they make some, they make some bad coverage decisions every now and then, but then. All of a sudden, they have seven interceptions. Maybe there might be one of them on the team already. Um, but I think that like this is a guy that that he he could grow into being something. But there's a reason he's a fifth round pick. Ultimately, I mean, he, he still has some some room to grow. All good DBs are gamblers. They're gonna be outside of the scheme. They're gonna take chances when they shouldn't. You're gonna hate them half the time. You're gonna love them the other half. So. I admire guys like that. Josh Norman was that brash where he would just be in a cover three and get an interception in the flat. He has no business doing that, but it's what made him great. It's it's that thing inside him that he just doesn't know how to explain. It's going to help you make a play. But these guys got to play football. Like We're going to talk from now until they put the pads on. But ultimately, man, these shoulder pads and helmets and all the Zoom uh, team meetings they're having – that doesn't mean anything. When they play football, we'll get a better look at it. Yeah, that's that's really the problem. And I mean, it's it's it is what it is, right? It's <laughs> like we we've been talking for three months about the guys that were gonna draft, and then when they didn't draft, the one guy that a lot of people wanted them to draft, it's it's a thing. And then now we got what five more months before we even see him strap on the helmet. I'm like, it's it's gonna be a while. Five months is a lot, but um, it like at least in a regular offseason, we might have seen them in rookie minicamp. And you could have had some like reports. Like I would have been like, "Hey, man, who Kenny Robinson? He looks fast out there." Like that's that's the number one thing that you hear from camps is like, "Man, uh, Derek Brown, bro, he looks he looks big. He looks big. He's an he's a man." Who and, had uh, the big one handed grab out there yesterday, Josh? That, that really uh, <laughs> caused oohs and ahs. Man, Kiaris Garrett, I think is is going to make some noise this year. <laughs> that's the guy that I think is. Um, him and uh, oh man, who was the guy the 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 guy that went to Carolina that was really that was like he was last year right he was like six six oh uh, that's gonna bother me hang on I'm you guys talk amongst yourselves I'm just gonna yell out the name here and I did see Bug Howard's a free agent that's thanks. Bug Howard thank you you there knew you it already you were ready for my man Bug he looks the part he hey looks he the does. Part. I was I was a big believer I was a Bug believer I still think Bug's got I'm a Bug thing. believer. <laughs> I like that. You put that on a shirt. <laughs> Man, if, oh, yeah. Bug had, if Bug had made the practice squad, he would have been the most pan, most popular Panthers player in history. Since Damian Craig. <laughs> Are there any of these undrafted free agents that you think can make this team? Shoot, yes. Shoot, <laughs> yes. I, I, don't I agree with Colin Shoot, yes. I don't even know to, to know the names. I don't know the positions. <laughs> I'm just telling you, yes. And I'm I'm excited about it. I, look, I feel good about what we saw. Again, I, I felt like what we've seen out of this this group with led by the, the rule regime, I, I really like – I feel like they have 
clearly a a, a profile of what they're looking for. I think we're going to quickly be able to figure out guys that are their types of guys. And I'm excited that it feels like they have they have that. So I think they picked they went and picked some other guys that have, you know, they they have the, the death in the family. They have a drug issue, whatever it was that led to them being undrafted free agents, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, give these guys a shot. And I think what what I like about them is they seem to be finding guys that are good at something that seems they seem to be guys that have a an ability that they're going to bring to the table, whether they catch everything, whether they're fast, whether they're, they're bit, they, they've got something, not, not the, well, we just want to get them in and then see what they can do. And that's what I like about the guys that they brought in. Yeah. I think it's going to be another offensive lineman. Uh, I mean, I've said this since the draft that this team has a great track record of bringing in undrafted free agent offensive linemen and they stick. Not only do they stick, but they get paid. They end up being, like all world, mostly offensive guards and, and doing a great job and making a name for themselves. So, you know, whether, you know, it was Gettleman or Marty, they have a great eye for those scrappy guys, a little edge to them, somehow flew under the radar. And, you know, guard, guard really is not a real sexy position. Um, centers are, are very, you know, highly coveted. Obviously the offensive tackles, but it, it's those guards. And you get them and they're nasty and they're big and they develop those guys, I think it's going to come out of that group. Uh, but I'm, I always pull for them. I'm an undrafted guy, so I'm pulling for all the undrafted free agents. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I agree with, with Al. I think offensive line is the spot, especially interior offensive line, but they still need some help on the on, on that tackle. Like they're, I mean, that that's they don't have a lot of depth up there. And, uh, and as we have seen every year ever, there are going to be some injuries on the offensive yeah. line. So um, you, you can't have like, again, it's just like with, when I said a cornerback, like, you know, there are, there are a couple of twisted ankles away from, you know, uh, Tyler Larson starting and like uh, Tyler Larson is a fine player, but like, come on. I would have loved, first of all, guard Josh Klein was available. He's a free agent. I signed him in my Madden franchise crushing it right now at right guard um i just can't figure guy, out but he's quick on his feet or, do you want him to tank or not though because like you're like oh they're they're close to larson starting I'm like i thought that's what you wanted i thought that was yeah, the whole idea not, is that larson was going to start next year yeah but you're but but you're not you're not helping your team get better like you're not helping guys like like curtis well curtis samuel whether they resign or not but like you're not helping dj Moore get better you're not helping uh chris mccaffrey get better you're not helping taylor moat get better Dennis Daly, Greg Little, if these other guys are just are if you're not running an effect, at least an effective offense. The reason the whole reason why they signed Teddy is because he could run this offense. They're trying to install this brand new offense with no practice, what trying to do it on on virtual whiteboards on Zoom. It's just it's like they're they're gonna have to be practicing this, these like like installing plays during this like week eight. They're gonna be like, okay, what do we do when they line up? in the four, three, and they shift their, their linebackers this way. Like that's the kind of stuff that's going to have to happen on like Thursday because there just isn't enough off season. So if you, you need these, like you need veteran players that can at least hold up the spot so that your young players can progress and get better and learn the offense, learn the defense. Cause from everything that I hear is like Joe Brady's offense is, is brand new. And, and whether you want to say confusing or not, but like Phil snow, everything that, any Baylor player has ever talked about is like, yeah, we run, we have like a hundred different blitzes and like, 
it's just, it's like they have a ton of different plays that they do and a ton of like confusing. And I know it can be a little bit of like see ball, get ball, but Al, you know, like it's, it's no fun if you get out there and you're like, what am I supposed like, you you need to be able to run on instinct. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that this year. I think the defense is at a, they, they will develop faster, right? Phil Snow's defense, they'll pick that up. If you've ever heard a play call in a huddle from the offense, I mean, it's an entire paragraph. They have to tell every person what they're doing. You know, X fly, Z motion, you know, Y cross. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, a defensive call oh, for us could be smash fire zone. All right, smash tells the front what to do. Fire zone tells you the coverage. And, and it's just that simple. Every position group knows what to do by one word or one phrase. You don't have to say left D in, you know, underneath. Like, it's it's crazy how much terminology that goes into it. So when we get to training camp, typically every year the defense is just light years ahead of the offense because we don't have to think. And you're right. If you're thinking you're a half a second slow and in the NFL, a guy's 40 yards past you. It's over. So it's going to be tough, and it's tough for everybody trying to overcome everything we have to do or those guys have to do with being quarantined and, and, and trying to learn NFL football. Yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, if you can get if you can get some value out of the seventh-round pick, Thomas Oliver, if you can get two undrafted free agents that, that make the run, like this is, how you, this is how you build your team, right? Like you don't – hitting on the first round pick, although we love Marty Herney that he does that every year. It, it's the guys on the back end that ultimately are going to make the biggest difference for your team down the road. It's having, it's finding the Andrew Norwell's and the Jake Delomes and the Al Wallace's and the, the, I, I don't, it was Brenton, but was Chris Jenkins was a second round pick. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like, yes, nailing Julius peppers is fantastic. But like it's the guys in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh undrafted that ultimately make up, you know. And and I think it's I think it's both though. I think you get the individuals in that first round typically. You get the the guys who's who who become nicknames and you know get the get the yellow jackets. You get those guys by and large in the first round, and then you do get your depth throughout the draft. But I think you do need both. If you've got a team full of guys, you you, you need everybody in lockstep. And that one guy can cover for a lot, it, just the same way that if you don't have that guy and you don't have that, you know, they, they can't cover for a lot, then you, you need all all 11 in lockstep. And I think that's harder and harder to do in today's NFL. So I think you do need you do need both. And that's one reason I, I mean, not to take it all the way back, but I think that's one reason why you have the, the trade down discussion. And if you think you're getting a top tier guy at that very top of the draft, then you, you stick with that as opposed to trading down. I think I just think it has to do with this personal philosophy, and I don't know that Marty's philosophy is to try. I mean, look, you're, we're asking a guy who doesn't know his future to plan for the future. That's unrealistic. He's trying to win now. I think the more success they have right now, the more success he has, and the more confidence, um, you, you know, ownership as well as Matt Rule has in him building this team as they continue to progress. So obviously Marty's not, I mean, if he's the guy making the pick, he's making the pick to be better uh, right now. I think the only piece for me that's missing that they need to fill, and we touched on it a little bit, is the veterans. And, and you know, I, I my mind just goes back and forth. With every Julius Peppers, there's a veteran Mike Rucker. With every young buck, uh, you know, um, Chris Jenkins, there's a Brinson Buckner. So they, 
you, you have to match it up that way. You have young linebackers, Will Witherspoon, but then you have veteran Dan Morgan. You have to start getting some veterans in here in order to develop these guys. They cannot develop on their own through just coaching alone. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and it and it is it's one of those things where if it works, then then we'll all be celebrating the the moves that Matt Rule and Marty Herney and the way that they built this team with like they have oh it's it's so young they went out and they got all these guys that are under tw- under twenty eight and they signed them to one and two year contracts and and they're they're just building this team in in what we thought was going to be a different way, but it, now it kind of seems like it's the the general model but for building an nfl team um it's just like this basing your basing your uh conclusion on the results is ultimately what you have to do in sports right because all you can do is if you win the game then you're like well you know hey we we won i mean (laughs) committed 12 penalties and uh we missed three field goals and uh but uh but ultimately you know uh, Aaron Brooks threw the ball backwards, so we got to pick it up and run for a touchdown. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm disappointed in you as, as a Tar Heel, Josh, because that is the that's the d- definite lesson of Dean Smith is process over results. Uh, we're a, we're a football school, Colin. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. Uh, Mac is back. Mac is back. Um, number two recruiting class in the country, I believe. Uh, God, let's let's hope there's a season. Let's do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would that'd be the most Carolina football thing ever, actually. <laughs> between have between that recruiting class, have some optimism, and then you know not be able to play. Yeah. <laughs> between that and the Panthers having cap space in 2021 and the cap going down, like that that those two things are like that 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 is just like that's like the most Panther oh. thing in the world right it's like we got so much cap space what the what it's going it's gone down 12 million i can't wait to hear how smart the vikings were to intentionally roll or whoever, whatever team it is to intentionally roll it over knowing right. that the pandemic was coming you know so they'd have extra cushion this year absolutely process-based Process. they got di- they got their doctors out there actually speaking of process-based can i talk about one little draft thing with you real quick yeah let's do it draft thing uh, you know, we're, we told we said we were going to talk about the running back devaluation, but I did think it, we didn't talk about the top the Jordan Love selection at the end of the first round by the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> oh, I, to me, that was the moment when it was like, "Yo, we are live! We <laughs> are live right now!" Like, let's go to the camera. We got all these cameras on seventh round picks. Where's my Aaron Rodgers, Danica Patrick cam right now? Because <laughs> it, 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 the the Packers. If you go back over the last 20 years and look at the way the, the, the running back devaluation, it was don't draft running backs and don't pay running backs. And really, it was two two places that did it. It was Denver with the Shanahan's who knew a thing or two about running uh, running game and the offense. And then really the Green Bay Packers. They hadn't drafted a, a, a running back since 1990. Um, and now we're to the end of the Rodgers era effectively with a first round uh, quarterback being selected in the first round. And they are the team, if you look at the last 20 years, that did not draft got, draft running backs in the first round, Wouldn't didn't like paying running backs. But what's interesting to me is you look back when they had success with guys like Dorsey Levins and, and Edgar Bennett, they were guys that weren't the bell cow. They were guys that could do everything. And then you look at the recent the recent history, that when their offenses really struggled, they went and got a guy like Eddie Lacy. He mm. was their answer. They, they went and got a dinosaur back, 
And then as proof <laughs> of the, the running back, you know, uh, not being worth it. I do think it's worth noting in 2013, they of the uh, don't take a running back, decided to pass on Giovanni Bernard, um, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, excuse me, yeah, LaShawn McCoy. Um Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, because, of course, the Packers also don't take tight ends and wide receivers. Um, but I just think you look back at this Packers run as one of these organizations that did exactly what we're talking about with the don't pay the running backs. They've had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks playing that position for 25 years, and they've had two Super Bowls, uh, one each. I think that that's low for, for both of those. And I think you could really make a case that had they drafted running backs, uh, that, that they'd have more right now. Um, they did a great job in the early 90s, and it's not been the same since. And I think that's why you see uh, them possibly waving goodbye to Rodgers in the next year. It's almost like they did. They like weirdly drafted him out of not spite, obviously, but the running back, the the Jordan Love pick. I actually don't really have a problem with. Like it's fine. Like, well, how old is Rodgers? 35, 36 years old. However yeah. old he is, you you kind of have to think about okay, like we like let's at least start this progression. And maybe we could trade him a couple of years, Garoppolo style. Like that's kind of the the, the example that everybody uses. But the the baffling pick to me was when they picked a, a running back in the second round because it's like you already have Aaron. So the two positions that you have established starters at, yeah. you pick backups with with your two two picks. That to me is just like well, I I made a joke on Twitter that's like draft grades are dumb except for the Packers who get an F because it's like that like how do you come out of your first two picks with with guys that in a that you don't that in a best case scenario don't see the field for their the entirety of their rookie deals like with, with the guy that's a that's a top five quarterback every year i mean and I, I just aaron jones they, a great they, running back too so oh it's like yeah, yeah and they, but they were they were excited about him because they haven't had it had a good running back for a while i just think it's interesting that when you look at the teams that have actually lived this and done this what people are talking about that they had success early on and but in the recent years they, they really haven't been able to capture that same success um, of, of grabbing running backs late. And you look at that offense led by Rodgers being a middle-of-the-pack offense, below middle-of-the-pack offense over the last five years. That's not what you expect out of those guys. And I do think – I didn't mention it, but in 2013 when they could have drafted, you know, Ertz and Kelsey and all those guys, they took Dayton Jones, the fifth defensive tackle, off the board that year instead of those guys. <laughs> yeah, it's not but, great. But, but the year before but, – but you're going – but, Colin, did it really answer a need? The year before, they had Alex Green as their leading rusher with 490 yards – so I think I think maybe Shady could have filled a void in there for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thing is that apparently I've become the running back devaluation guy on this podcast, but uh, I, or the big analytics guy. I do wear glasses, so um, I I think that it's yeah, like I I think that ultimately you not only do you have to if you pick the right running back, it makes a big difference, but if you pick the right. wrong one. But that's just like any other yeah. position. Yeah. No, of course. Like uh, but I, I, just, I, just, I feel like if they'd have picked the they if if they had selected, I don't know, like I'm I'm trying to think of just fifth round uh running backs from like two thousand twelve off the top it. of my there, head. There haven't been there haven't been great running backs for a while. I mean that's no. that's kind of the point that they and they really didn't I'm not this isn't really a bash the Packers thing. They where they've picked in the the draft, a lot of times they haven't had an opportunity to get one of those kind of franchise backs, but I just think that they you know, they, they got lucky. They got Amon Green for, for a sack of hammers from the Seahawks, and now he's a Hall of Fame member. And he was a guy that did a little bit of both, more of a runner um, than, than a pass catcher, as Nicky knows. Um, no, he's but, from Nebraska. Uh, he's amazing. There you go. <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. <laughs> but they found him, and he was – he was. but 
since then, until they found Aaron Jones, they really struggled for like five, six years. And I just think it goes back to the whole easily replaceable and stuff like that. This is a team that did it. And you look at their last five years, their offense, it's not what you'd want. But everybody will tell you it's the running back position is easily replaceable. Yeah, I'm not in the club to pay the running back club. I just think when I look at Super Bowls, this past Super Bowl, there are two undrafted guys that are toting the load. And, I mean, they're doing great. Me and Al are on the same team. Yeah, We're on I team big arms and team, don't pay yeah. the running back. <laughs> You know, it's I, I love that everybody brings up the Niners as a team that doesn't pay the running backs, even though they went out and got Tevin Coleman for $5 million, and they got a $7 million man hurts uh, helping the uh, run game and, and use check. You know, but, but if the Panthers paid a fullback, everybody would be fine with it. But because the Niners pay a fullback, then it's, it's you know, it's smart football. No, I'm not saying the 49ers didn't pay pay a guy. I'm just saying you 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 just don't need to in this day's – game i mean the game has just changed the the running backs are more athletic they're no longer the the bruisers i mean derrick henry's that dinosaur you talked about colin i mean they're no longer guys his size his speed i mean maybe never but to be able to do those things you just have to be a bigger version of a a slot receiver that's essentially what the running back is now but don't you – I think Ter- Derrick Henry, and granted, you're not going to find a bunch of Derrick Henrys, but no. I, I, view, I view him as terrifying. As, as, I mean, even you look at this draft for the Panthers, that they're getting smaller and smaller. Defenses continue to get smaller. I just I just wonder if at some point there isn't a, kind of a market correction in the, in the form of a Derrick Henry. And maybe we saw it last year. Yeah, there's always going to be an adjustment. When I came into the NFL, receivers like Herman Moore – I mean – you know, the Randy Mosses, those guys were 6'4", just big receivers. And then at some point, they got a little smaller, like the Wes Welker types of slot receivers, Edelman, those guys that are a little shifty. Now you're seeing the bigger, uh, more physical, uh, you know, kind of receivers start to start to come back. I can't think of a receiver got drafted uh, from Ole Miss in Seattle last year, but he's he's my size. He's huge. He's a big DK kid. Metcalf. Uh, Metcalf, yeah, DK yeah. Metcalf. So the, the, it's transitioning. You'll see the same thing with the linebackers. I played in Philly with Jeremiah Trotter, who was a 260-pound middle linebacker. Now, I mean, you look at John Beeson and Dan Morgan, you, you better be able to run. Luke Keekley's not the biggest middle linebacker. The game just changes like that. Defensive ends the same way. You know, it, it, it goes from the big 290-pound guys to the top pass rushers now are 250, 260. And that's been going on. I mean, because there is a, a butt kiss. And before that, you know, he's 250. And then Singletary and obviously Sam Mills were viewed as small for their time. And now, you know, Singletary's around Ray, Ray Lewis's size. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's saying Ray, Ray shouldn't be playing middle linebacker. He's too small for that position. It's just, but it is, it is. I just, I just wonder about having a defense loaded with the guys that weigh about what I do. I don't know. That's, it, it, I am, I'm curious to see how this plays out if we try I mean, and go all speed. Because, He's going to terrorize him. Derek Henry's just going to terrorize. If he gets through that first level, he's a nightmare. I mean, if, if, if I was, I mean, I'm optimistic about this draft, but if I was going to be critical of it, I worry that we're repeating what Atlanta did where you got small and got fast on defense and then it's great, but your guys don't stay healthy because they're undersized. And I, I, that's the, that would be the concern that I have going forward. Um, kind of looking at the profile of guys that they're picking. That's but a very again, good comparison. My big concern is that we crushed Dave Gettleman in, what, 2016 for shopping hungry because they didn't have any corners. But Marty Herney went into this draft 
starving for defensive players <laughs> and drafted all and ordered the seven course meal because he didn't have a choice. And now, and all of a sudden it's like they, they made picks and they made good picks, but ultimately they, they had to like, I feel like there were, unless they went out there and drafted like, well, they went out there and drafted a, uh, you know, seven linebackers. Then you'd be like, well, what are they doing? They drafted good players at positions that they needed because the roster was so bare and everybody is like, man, crush the draft. And it's like, I think they, they drafted good players and let's see, let's see how this draft fits into the roster going forward. Or let's spin it forward over the next few years and not just bask in the A plus grade that they got from CBS sports. And also let's be very mindful of not grading these guys too soon because of this pandemic. And because this is going to slow down the development of all these guys, we may not see it kick in till you know midway through the season, so we shouldn't be too ru- <clears throat> rushed to judge them because it's just a mess. They won't have time to get in there and develop the way we normally see folks. And, and I look at the seven defensive players taken almost as like a, a draft factoid, a draft trivia nugget, more than I view it as their their view going into this draft. I don't think they said you know. <laughs> Wipe, wipe all the offensive players off. We're going only defense. I don't think they did that. I think it's, I think it's just the way it fell. And, I, and to be honest with you, I'm glad that they that they went ahead and drafted the seventh one rather than going. Well, you know, we should, maybe we should take an offensive yeah. player. Couldn't agree so more. Could this. not yeah. agree more. Like, just go for it. <laughs> if that's Stick what your board it. says. Go for it. Exactly. I, I would much rather that than be like, well, you know, have the press conference like, you know, we knew you guys were going to give us a hard tap. We took seven defense players, so we decided to take the uh, offensive guard that we don't like as much as the defensive player that. You know, you know, they did what they – I have no issue with the seven defensive player thing. And I don't think it will be reflective. I don't think we'll see that again out of this organization. Real quick, because we obviously can't do a Panther show without talking about Cam. Where do you think he'll land? Cam Jordan plays for the Saints. <laughs> How about the other Cam? He does wine, right? <laughs> you mean the one whose asking price is apparently too high? That one? <laughs> it's got to be, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm, wor- I'm still worried. I'm still, I'm still worried that Bill Belichick is going to prioritize him and value him more as a backup quarterback and a weapon than any other body, anybody else will. I don't think it's the number that Cam wants. I don't think it's anywhere near that number, but I do think that Belichick is a guy that may just look at him and say, I've got something. And I think it's a real possibility that Jamison Cam got, got two offers or both got offers from the saints and said, whoever signs this first. You're going to be our backup quarterback because I think Sean Payton could use either one. They're completely different types of quarterbacks, but I think that's the situation. That Sean Payton, again, respect to that guy as an offensive mind, I think he would have used either one of them well, and I think that's probably the leverage they used to get Jameis signed when they did, rather than letting Jameis ride it out. I agree. I think that the, I think uh, that Cam had had gotten a lot of calls from New Orleans from a New Orleans phone number. Um, Right. And then they ultimately decided to go with Jameis, whether it was price tag, whether it was whether honestly, we don't know. Like, that's the thing is, like, we assume Cam doesn't want to go somewhere and be a backup because that doesn't fit his personality from everything that we know about Cam. But I I think we all assume that Cam didn't want to play out the last year of his deal. But I'm pretty sure he did in Carolina. And I think it's like one of those things where I, I think we assume all these things about Cam Newton because what we've seen of him on the field and in the, and in the press conferences and, and you don't, but to me, maybe, maybe he would be okay with it. I, I don't, I don't th- if Cam wants to be a starter in the NFL week one, I, I think he's in trouble 
Like, I, I don't know that there's a spot for him. And if, if it's me, the best case scenario for him is to go to New England. And I think that would be that, like that, in my mind, that's kind of what I'm hoping for for him. Because I think they would know what, like, Belichick could use him the best. They, they could, he obviously slots in as their starter immediately. They're, they're not going to clamor, the Patriots fans are not going to be clamoring for Stidham to start over him. Um, uh, and, and so it's like, that's kind of his best fit. It, the weird thing is that the NFL NFL owners, they all like stick together and there's so much group think that goes 